Hello and welcome to The Plotting Shed. You're listening to Rachel McCarty, founder of plotplots.com and author of the book I Want to Like My Garden. Each week, The Plotting Shed discusses different aspects of garden design, but we focus on things that other books don't really talk about. I hope you enjoy this podcast and do please hit the subscribe now button so you don't miss another episode. Well, hello, good morning and welcome to another edition of The Plotting Shed. You're listening to me, Rachel McCartane. I hope the world is wonderful wherever you are. Thank you once again for downloading this little podcast. If you do want to hit the subscribe button, you won't miss another episode. So I do thank you and I do appreciate you listening to my ramblings. Well, hopefully they're not totally bizarre and off-the-wall ramblings. They're podcast downloads that can help you make your garden a better and more enjoyable place to be in. And I was sitting there again this week thinking, what are we going to discuss and how are we going to inspire you to make changes to your garden and it's been another week of just let's face it doom and gloom and I heard this this new word which I thought is very apt at the moment this week I was listening to a podcast and somebody said this would be word yes I've been doom scrolling they said and I'm doom scrolling too much and I thought yep that's exactly what I've been doing sitting there reading all the various aspects of the news and getting thoroughly depressed The fact that most likely we're all going to get locked back down again at some point, wherever we are in the world. And it is a bit dooming gloom at the moment. So I thought, well, just in case, let's have a look at five easy ways that in case we have to spend even more time at home and in our gardens again, even in the winter, how we can make our gardens more interesting and nicer places to be without having to undertake huge amounts of work and restructuring and spending loads and loads of money. So that's what this podcast is about. Five ways to make your garden a bit more interesting easily. So what are the five ways? Well, I'll go through them in detail, but essentially, for those of you that don't want to listen right to the very end, these are the things you need to think about. Stimulating your senses, losing all the lines, making yourself look at something or look for something, making the garden move, and finally not being afraid of change. So those are the five basic things I'll go into and explain those in a little more depth. Making the most of your senses, what do I mean? Well, humans are naturally very, very visual creatures. We process a huge amount of the information that we receive visually and then probably secondary to that is is by listening. If you go and do a little test and you go and take your chair and you plonk it in your garden, you go and sit in your favourite spot, but this time when you sit in your garden, shut your eyes. And how many of your other senses, other than your vision, is your garden stimulating? Can you hear nice things? Can you touch things? 
Is there anything in the air that's wafting? Can you taste anything in the garden? And I think one of the failures of garden centres and how everything has, the, the whole horticultural industry has blossomed over the, the last couple of decades is that it has become far too visual as the only sensory element that producers are looking to sell us products to. But gardens need to do much more than that. And especially if you have a smaller garden, everything in your garden has to work that much harder. So if you sit in your garden now and you shut your eyes, how good is it? What is the garden achieving and giving to all those other facets that we have at our disposal to interpret them? The world around us. Every garden needs to have something that stimulates some of the senses other than the visual one. So one of the most important and underrated again in small gardens is the value of scent. You know one of the, the advantages of having a smaller garden are the boundaries and they hold, they can hold the scents in the garden much more. So if you have not got plants that fill your garden with scent, you are really, really, really missing out. Now, one of my favourite plants that I think absolutely every garden should have, because it's nearly indestructible, it's a very well-behaved, glossy little green evergreen shrub, which grows quite slowly. You can clip it into a, a, a reasonable shape and it, it just behaves itself and it doesn't particularly do much. Um, as it sits there, it just grows and it has shiny green leaves. But come January, February, it flowers. And I can kid you not, your entire house could be filled with the scent of Sarkococca just by one spring. But if you walk out there on a nice crisp winter's morning, you will get filled, you know, your nose is just going to be assaulted by this beautiful scent. And so your garden will deliver a much greater benefit to you if you consider when you're buying plants what that plant will do other than have a pretty flower. It has got to, and I would make the suggestion to you, that every plant in your garden must stimulate at least two of your senses. So for example, you have used scented leaves. So when you walk past them or you can sit at the patio, you surround that particular area with plants that have all of the set stimulate all of your senses. You could put mint in pots so you can touch it and you release the scent. You've got lavender, there's bay that you can use. There a variety of herbs, all that will have scented leaves as well as scented flowers. Because obviously the leaves last longer than flowers, so it is far more sensible to buy a plant for the scented leaves than the scented flowers. And obviously you can have scented flowers as well. But that will give you added benefit. On top of that, think about how things touch. We all love running our hands over lavender, for example. It releases the scent. There are other plants like penicetums, a type of grass, and they send up these flower heads, or these sort of the grass flower heads, and they're like fluffy little squirrel tails. 
loads of people will love just running their hands over them and they've got nice names as well you know there's there's red buttons and there's bunny tails and there's fairy tails well automatically that just the name of the plant gives you an idea what it's going to do and so sitting in your garden you will have things that visually look nice but that will add scent as well it will give you texture so that you can touch them which might release the scent as well all of which stimulate your senses more which gives you more enjoyment in the garden so this autumn now go out in your garden sit there and shut your eyes and really have a critical evaluation of whether your garden is delivering other things to your senses now secondly i said losing the lines so what on earth do i mean by losing lines well I've said this before in other podcasts, but visually humans notice two things. One, we notice movement. And the second thing we notice are are lines. They can be the lines of houses, the lines of roads. They can be the line along the top of your fence. But visually, we are pre-programmed for our eye to follow a line to a particular point. So if your garden, let's just say, for example, is surrounded by straight lines, i.e. the tops of the fences, that's what you will notice far more than what's in the garden because that's what we're pre-programmed to do. By losing the entire length of one line, what we're doing is we're breaking up a very strong visual cue. And because your mind is then not subconsciously following the straight lines and, and where it's being led to, it allows your eye to wander about and see other things. For example, the edges of paths. If at some point you can have plants that tumble over the edges of the path, it will break up the visual dominance of the line. Having plants that grow taller than the the height of your fences will break up those visual lines and will allow you to notice other things where you have the shape of the lawn. If you offset the lawn, for example, you have a square garden and a rectangular lawn. If you twist the lawn at an angle, you might have to cut off part of the edge of the rectangle in order to fit it in the garden. So you break up the rectangle line of the lawn. It makes it more interesting. It throws your visual cues off and you start looking for other things. It's very, very simple to do. Just think about how many lines can you see from start to finish and you need to break those up. Now, adding on from that then is having something to look at or something to look for. Because if we lose the dominance of the visual lines in the garden, as I've just said, your mind starts wandering and starting to look for things. So you've got to give it something to look at. Now, there are two ways of doing this. The first way is you actually create a physical focal point. So you're saying, uh, look at me instead. If you have a path, then your eyes will follow the line of that path to the end. What's at the end? You're making yourself look there. So what is going to be at the end that is worth seeing? So that's a focal point. Or if you have a less than attractive view, you might want to create a different focal point in a different place, in which case 
you've got to make that focal point stand out really loudly from the rest of the garden. So it has to be something that's really noticeable. It might move or it might reflect light. It has to be something that's visually different from the eyesore that you're trying to draw people's attention away from. But there's one other way that you can get people to start to look around the garden. And that's actually by introducing a specific colour or a specific item which you place at various points around the garden. So as you're sitting in the garden, you're looking for it. Now let's just take the example that it's a, a, a red plant. So it's got really bright red flowers. You don't just have to use the, the same plant and plonk it in different places of the garden. You can take the red of the flowers and maybe have a similar colored pot or a, a trellis that you paint in that same colour as the flowers. So it's the colour that you can use in different ways around the garden. And as long as you don't do too much of it, you start looking for, oh yes, there's that over there, oh that matches this. And you make people look for things, which then makes the garden more interesting, doesn't it? So it's a very simple, easy trick to try and bring everything together. I've always been, in terms of how I design gardens, rather than creating visual spectacles of designs and building this and what have you, I've always tried to design gardens based on human psychology to some extent. What attracts people? What, what is going to be interesting to the person using the garden? How is that person going to feel in a garden? What is going to captivate somebody in a garden? How is the garden going to contrast with the environment that it's in? And one of the easiest ways you can make a garden more interesting is to have movement. So if you think about it, and it's blindingly obvious, buildings don't move. The, the paths, the roads don't move, the sheds don't move, the fences shouldn't move. Everything in our visual environment that we have from the house and our homes and our gardens and everything else is static. So the one really good way that you can create far more interesting feel to the garden is to contrast with the immobility of the buildings and the urban environment. So you need to put things in that will really move. Now, it doesn't have to be just big trees. Plants that will move with the breeze are always more interesting, not just for the fact that it just catches your eye. It's a, it's a real throwback to our genetic prehistory that we focus on things that move because it was a, a response mechanism to being stalked by predators. If we notice movement, we can get out of the way. So you will always notice things that move in the garden, however small. Grasses, the, the seed heads of grasses moving. But it's not just the fact that they move that's interesting. They also cast shadows when the sun is shining. You get a nice interplay of the light and the shadows dancing on the walls, which again is more interesting. It's nicer to look at. One of the things, just as a side issue, which is becoming a real should we say soapbox element from, from my perspective, is how we currently 
prune and trim the plants in the garden because there has been an explosion of power tools in the last 15, 20 years. We have a power tool for absolutely everything. You can see those people or those gardeners who prune with power tools and those who prune naturally. Because the ones that prune with power tools have a garden full of domes. They might be short, fat, stubby ones. They might be square ones. They might be cubes, but everything is dome shaped. Because if you think with a hedge trimmer, how can you prune? You kind of sweep the hedge trimmer over the plant and it creates this really unnatural Dalek shape. But the problem with pruning like that is that also it creates a very solid object. So the problem of power tools is compounding the lack of movement and the lack of interest in the garden because of the way that it forces us to prune. The only advantage of a power tool is it's quick. If you can resist the temptation of creating this dome, then you can prune the plants and take out branches in the middle, which opens the plant up, which loosens the plant up, which gives it the ability to move. It will look more interesting. It also will not look as though it hasn't been pruned which helps reduce the amount of maintenance that you have in the garden. Because if you create this very regular looking shape, when it starts growing and sending up shoots, it messes with the shape and we have to prune it again. If you don't prune like that and cut the plant into a dome, then you get a more natural shape. The plant will grow more naturally and it doesn't look like it needs cutting as often. So you actually get a win-win situation. The other way that you can create movement in the garden is not with plants, it's by attracting things that move in. Birds, butterflies, bees, insects, dragonflies, hoverflies, moths, all of these things that fly, bats, all of these things that fly around the garden. I defy anyone says that they're not interested. They won't sit there in the garden and watch the bird hopping about, or they won't watch a squirrel dancing in the trees. That movement again is really interesting. So if you use plants that will attract bees and butterflies, you double the amount of movement in the garden. Not only do the plants move, creating a more interesting environment, you get the nice sounds of the wind blowing through, but then the wildlife creates its own show as well. And lastly, many gardeners, once they've put plants in the garden, Leave them there. That's it. It's done. Garden's done. Finished, sorted it, put the plants in. It's all done. We just keep it nice and neatly trimmed. Now, I don't know about you, but after a couple of years, things, you just get a bit samey. And, you know, we chop and change things around in the house. We repaint, we move the furniture around, we buy different cushions, we change the duvets, we up, you know, we, we're constantly doing that to keep things feeling fresh inside the house but a lot of times it doesn't happen outside the house and my final piece of advice to trying to keep your gardens feeling interesting and being a place you enjoy being in is move things around there is nothing wrong with shifting a plant from one place to the other place if you don't want it there create a different shape change the shape of the lawn Add new things in. 
change things about a bit. It's a bit like your your own wardrobe of clothes. Every now and again, we have a bit of a clear out. We get rid of the stuff that we don't want to wear anymore and we put a couple of new things in. They don't have to be lots of new things, but maybe one or two new things in our wardrobe gives us a whole new load of outfits. Do the same in the garden. Do the same with plants. You know, I walk around the garden, very often I'll take a clipping from a shrub and I'll walk round and I'll put it next to other plants and think, would you go with that and would you go with that? And if it will, then why not move it around? Change breeds interest. It breeds your involvement in the garden. It keeps you connected to the garden. The two of you work together. And that's something I've always been very passionate about. It's your garden. It's got to be something that reflects you. So don't be frightened of change. So there we are. Five simple ways without spending a great deal of money that you can think about making your garden better. Sort out your senses. Don't have complete lines in the garden. Create something to look at or look for. Make the garden move and just change things around a bit. Move the furniture around in the garden. Just the process will keep you more interested. Well, thank you for listening. You have been listening to Rachel McCartane of The Plotting Shed. If you've got any questions about this podcast, please email me, rachel at plantplots.com, or you visit the website with loads of different information on garden design and gardening advice, along with planting plans that you can download. You can look at the designs that we've created. So do take a look and please do hit the subscribe now button so you don't miss another episode. You can also donate if you go onto the website plantplots.com. There's a little button there saying you can buy me a coffee. So all donations will be hugely appreciated. Thank you very much. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your garden. Take care and stay well.